Welcome to the Broadway Brains by Lucy podcast, and I'm here to talk with your favorite theater stars about your favorite theater topics. Thanks for coming along on the ride. I hope you enjoy. Drew Gasparini is an award-winning musical theater composer, lyricist, a singer-songwriter, and a teacher. He is equally committed to forging a new sound in the intersection between theater and pop, to nurturing the next generation of artists, and everything in between. I talked with him about how he started um, Karate Kid, his new musical that's bound for Broadway, and more. I really hope you enjoy. My name is Drew Gasparini. I am a composer and lyricist for musical theater and beyond. And um, people might know my work from my album, I Could Use a Drink, or the songs I wrote on the TV show Smash. And uh, I'm writing musicals with Broadway's Alex Brightman, such as It's Kind of a Funny Story and The Whipping Boy. And uh, I'm currently writing Karate Kid for Broadway. Even Drew's family's life and upbringing show influences of music and the arts. My dad was a a rock and roll drummer and um, not for a living, but he was always he had a little drum set in the house and in the garage, I mean, and my mom was a or is a music teacher and theater performer and director. And so there was all these little artistic cubbies in the household. like there's four of us kids it's me and my older brother and my two younger sisters and all of us do something uh in the arts and i think it's because of the environment we were raised in where there was just always like shakers and conga drums and guitars and a piano and drum sets and a bass and trumpet and like there was just musical instruments all over the house and uh I, you know, I don't know that it was because my parents were like pushing us to be artistic people, but it was just kind of the nature of how we were raised. We were raised in a very supportive and artistically driven household. Many people find it hard to translate a passion into an actual career. So I wanted to hear how Drew managed to translate that. But like, I'm sure that if I look back at the moments in my young, young life, there was just really no other option for me. I was always on stage acting in musicals or I was on stage playing guitar and singing songs and or in acapella groups or even I started a barbershop quartet and uh, I was just kind of trying to immerse myself. So I don't know that there was really another option. And during my young years of trying to make it or, or just trying to get established at all, there really wasn't another option. And I was so confident that it was going to work. And this has been a really long career of getting really, really close. And so nowadays I have moments of, hmm, should I have majored in biology instead? But um, I love this life. And my friend, Joe Iconis, who's another composer, he says it best. And I, I like to think of it this way. It's a very hard life but it's a very good life. So I'm glad that I had the confidence to say there's no other option. Go for it, go for it, go for it. Amazing. So how does like like the ideas turn into music? Do you have like a usual songwriting process or like does it sometimes like differ? Not really. You know, it, of course it differs project to project because when you're writing musical theater, there's always a different like musical landscape for the show or each character is different. So they should think and speak differently. But I always try to write from my own personal 
honesty and a place in my heart that I can tap into. Um, so I don't know, you know, if there's one thing I can say, here's my process. It just, it really does differ from show to show, but something I've always been able to do sometimes better than speaking my mind. Uh, it's always easier for me to kind of translate my own thoughts and my own emotions into a song. So when I took it from like, in, instead of writing a journal, I would write a song. That's basically what it was. So a lot of the songs that I share with people that are out on YouTube, we do them at the 54 Below stage here in New York City. And some of the songs that end up in the Karate Kid or whatever, they're, they literally feel like pages ripped right out of my diary. They're very, very honest. And um, I think I have, it's just the way I, I choose to express myself. Kind of relating onto that, is there like when you're thinking about it, what comes first to you, like the music or the lyrics? I am mostly a musically driven person where I think what the first time I hear a song, I'm usually caught by, I can be moved by a cello part. You know, I can be moved by a chord progression or a melody. And then I'll have to go back to the song and like actually hear what the words are and be like, oh, that's what they're saying. But I interpret it through just like the colors of the song or the feeling of the song rather than as if I were reading the lyrics, the lyrics come completely second. Same goes that not just when I'm listening, same goes for when I'm writing a song. I usually think musically because that pulls so much power in terms of the feeling. And then you can finesse lyrics to kind of go along with what the music is, is uh, starting to create. And how does like um, writing individual pieces of music translate into like doing full on projects like the song cycles or Karate Kid? It's a it's a real challenge, I will say. Uh, these full musicals, uh, Karate Kid, for example, you have to write these moments that tie this huge moment together. And when it comes to a song cycle, each music or each song is basically a little mini musical that has a full arc and everything. So I almost prefer getting the whole story told within one song. I think I excel in that. And uh, when it comes to like the Karate Kids or the other full production shows that I'm working on, it's always more of a challenge because some of the songs are like, well, this character just needs a song. And you're just left there going, okay, but what are they saying? Like what, <laughs> I, you, it's hard to just kind of write a song so that there's a song there. Uh, it always works itself out. We always find our, our emotional way in. And this goes for any project, not just Karate Kid. I'm just using that as an example, but uh, I do find myself uh, preferring writing one-off songs or song cycles just because I can tell a whole story in four minutes rather than all these little mini moments to help tie a two and a half hour story together. Both are amazing and both are beautiful and music, no matter what, is my favorite form of storytelling. But the way I like to write and the way I get my thoughts out is getting it all into one song. And so doing like adding on to the challenge. So what are some other challenges you find like in doing rather than telling it all in a song to doing a full on like more story arc? Yeah, I, it's it's you. I think it's time is a big issue. Like you could spend all day on a song. But if the song is for a musical, you have deadlines, you know, you have to get a show written 
and like you're going to be on stage that show is going to be on stage and you're still missing two songs you got to write so the time crunch becomes a stress as well and when it's something a little more free form or flowing like a song cycle or a concert i can kind of take my time with the material and um Sometimes my best work ends up in the full production scale musical. Sometimes my best work ends up being in those one-off songs or song cycles. It's not that I, you know, I, I, I earlier I just said I prefer one to the other, and I really don't. I, I want to take that statement back. It's really more about the mood you're in while you're writing it, and it's it's uh, it's about focus and patience, and all those things change so much. By the way, how old are you? I I just turned thirteen about. A oh my. God, it's it's like I'm talking to like a 50-year-old journalist, these questions. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you. You're welcome. Very you're very you have a very mature demeanor here. It's it's amazing. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And yeah. So what was like your first composing project that you remember? And what were some things that you learned from it? The uh, first musical I wrote, I mean, I, I've been writing songs since I was 12, but I'm not going to consider them, quote unquote, a composing project. There is there really is a difference from being a songwriter and being a composer. Uh, and and the first musical I wrote or composed the music and lyrics for was a show called Crazy Just Like Me. And I wrote it at a time when I think I was looking for my voice. And I think that's the biggest lesson. Um, was how to try to find what I sounded like rather than pull all my influences together and say, oh, I want this to sound a little bit like a Beatles song and then try to write a Beatles song. I really used this first experiment in writing a musical to find my composer voice. What, did, what does Drew sound like? What does Drew sound like when he's writing in this style? What does Drew sound like when he's thinking these thoughts or putting them on the page? So that's probably the biggest lesson I learned. And that show Crazy Just Like Me went on to uh, come, you know, I was living in LA at the time when I wrote it and um, it made its way to New York and it did the New York Musical Theater Festival and it won all these awards and, and it set me up for the rest of my career. It was a really game-changing thing and it was my very first musical so I learned a lot of lessons from that very first one including patience it takes a long time it really really does and if you haven't seen tick tick boom yet they do such a good job of just kind of painting the picture of the patience you need to be a composer because there is a chance that you can spend 10 years writing something and then someone just says, yeah, we're not going to produce this. This is not going to work. And then you're like, what did I just do with 10 years of my life? And how can I even move on from this? So that was a, I think the, one of the most important lessons was have patience. Yeah. I think also why I love like the tick, tick, boom movie, mm -hmm. which I, I saw it and I was like, Oh my God, I love it. And yeah. Yeah, one Beautiful. of the things is like a lot of the time you see the finished product, like that's what you see in the shows in the Broadway. But mm -hmm. like Hamilton, for example, because it's really well known, like even though it was started like on the theater circuit in the like mid 2010s, it had been like started on this idea like decades before. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's and it's it's. um there's a great, speaking of Lin-Manuel, there's a, there's a great documentary about In the Heights, his, the first Broadway musical he wrote. And he's talking to the camera and he's explaining, if I go, if I look at what the, the show looks like on Broadway, 
and I compare it to the first draft of the show. The only thing that is the same is the lyric in the heights, everything else, every word, every note is completely different. And that's how it is. And that's because it takes years. So you're rewriting and writing and writing and rewriting for 10 years. And then by the time you end up with a final product, it's not even what it, it's not even the idea you started with anymore. It's such a crazy concept. I know. And like, when you think of it, you all, you don't really think of like how long it probably took to do this. No, especially, no. I mean, like going back to your question, that that was the lesson. When I started writing musicals, when I wrote that first musical, I thought, oh, it's done. I'll shop it around to producers and it'll be on Broadway one day. Like I really thought that. I really had no idea the amount of people you need to show it to just to be told no. And I had no idea how long the whole process of getting a show to Broadway would take or getting hired to write a Broadway show. I remember in two, that my first Broadway contract was with Warner Brothers. Uh, this was in 2013 when I started, early 2013, when I started writing songs to get a job for the show that they were making at the time, which is no longer happening. Uh, and I, the contract didn't get finished when, when I got the job. It took a year and a half for the contract to get finished. Do you know what I mean? Like, I couldn't even start writing the show until the contract was finished. And just to get the contract done, it took a year and a half. Things take so long in the theater world. And I don't know why. Still to this day, I do not know why. I'll, I'll never understand it, but I'm very accepting of it because that's just the way it is. <laughs> And it's kind of crazy because like then I, I'm like saying it, but like when you see a show, like you don't think you don't really think about like all the workshops, all the drafts that it had to go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, th and if you think about if you think about how fast society evolves, you could write a show and it's so, so funny. And then the next year that entire sense of humor is completely not okay or is completely scrubbed away or whatever. And you have to roll with the punches of society. You can't just say, no, we're going to shove this down people's throats. You could spend 10 years on a show and then all of a sudden society changes in a way or evolves in a way where it's not a good idea to write this show anymore or produce this show. So literally 10 years of your life just goes away. It is, it is so wild to me. And you're right, all the workshops and readings, we've done three or four readings and workshops for Karate Kids so far. And um, no one's gonna know what those look like because only a very small handful of people get to see those. Uh, yeah, so by the time people see it on Broadway, they have no idea what we went through to get it there. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of like, Karate Kid, I know you've worked a lot with like adaptations for like various organizations. So how is that different from creating like an entire original work? I, I, I love answering this question because I think there is a stigma out there that people think it's, it's somehow like the easy A is saying, oh, I want to adapt this movie into a musical. And it's not, if anything, it's extra challenging because everybody knows, them, especially a movie as iconic as The Karate Kid, which is now Cobra Kai. And like, it is, it is such a big universe built around the, the fandom of this piece. So the pressure of not screwing this up is so big and you're you're reinventing little moments but you're trying to musicalize iconic moments that is the pressure is crazy so that's a challenge in and of itself 
it, but it's, you're still building things up from the ground up. Like you're still inventing things from scratch. The Karate Kid is a movie. It's not a musical. So any song you hear is a completely invented moment. Just like if I were writing a brand new musical that was not adapted from something. You know what I mean? And I have literally 50-50, my entire catalog of things I've written is 50% original work, completely original, and 50% adaptations. And they're both challenging completely for similar reasons or completely different reasons. And adding on to like how you're talking about pressure, like with, obviously there are some pressures with like creating an original work, but in the end of the day, it's like your mind. So like who can judge your mind because it's like your stuff, but like, with like the movie adaptations that everyone sees, like everyone's like, oh, that didn't stick to the book. And there's like a lot of like um, criticism around that if you if it's like a little bit different. Right, right, right. It's and that can get tough. It really, really can. I mean, but the truth is most things are an adaptation of something, you know, like most things are a derivative idea of an idea that existed. So I think everybody who's not creating for their living, like if you're not writing something, you shouldn't, <laughs> you shouldn't be causing a storm on Twitter about how we don't need another movie musical. Most musicals that have ever, 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 all the way back to the beginning of time of, of Broadway have been adapted by plays, books, Shakespeare, whatever. And now we're adapting them for movies. It's, there's no difference in terms of how the sausage gets made. It's just what sausage is getting made is the different thing. So I, I, those people who are like, oh, really? Do we need another pretty woman? Do we need Karate Kid? Do we need? Yes. Yes, we do. It's another way to tell the story. It's a, it's a, if anything, it's a more in tune and uh, emotionally visceral way to tell the story. It can really pack a punch and movies can change lives. But I think the, what can happen in a theater with an audience is so much bigger and emotionally driven than what you'd ever get in a movie. So if anything, we're not just copy pasting the movie and putting it on stage, we're enhancing an already beloved story. And that goes for anybody's involvement in any adaptation. That's the goal. It's not to just say, well, people like the movie, they people like Pretty Woman, let's just put Pretty Woman on the stage. No, we're trying to adjust things so that it's enhanced in a way that emotionally drives the audience. That's the goal. And like in all like, kind of the purpose of musical theater is like showing emotions at a different level. And right. so with like the musicals that are adaptations, like also adding on to like how you're saying like the songs are original, like you don't just watch the movie and like the songs are there, like the songs. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, people like, I can't, I can't think of a year where like most musicals on Broadway are not an adaptation. Hamilton is an adaptation. It's adapted from a book. It's the biography of Alexander Hamilton. And it's literally says that in the program, it's not every uh, biography of Hamilton. It's this one specific biography of Alexander Hamilton that became the musical. It's just very interesting what people choose to think and what people know. And since we're on the topic of the Karate Kid musical, how yes. did like the idea for this start, like turning it into a musical? Well, it, uh, this company, uh, Gorgeous Entertainment, they work with this uh, Japanese visionary director. His name's Amon Miyamoto, and they've done several projects with him in the past. And I, he had done one Broadway show 
Uh, he was nominated for a Tony. It was like back in 2004, and it was uh, Stephen Sondheim's Pacific Overtures. And it got, got great reviews. I think it had a very short life on Broadway, but he really wanted to come back to Broadway. And um, his partner suggested The Karate Kid as a property. And when they got the rights to it, they started asking for writers and, and seeing who was out there. And I was really hesitant to do this. I really did. I, if I'm being very honest, I did not want to write this. And it, the reasons why I didn't want to write this is for all the reasons I just talked about. I used to be of the mindset, well, Broadway's nothing but movie adaptations. Why can't we have more original content out there? When I met with the director and he explained to me what he wanted to do with this show and how he saw it on stage, my mind, like my head popped off my neck like a balloon. I like literally my head exploded. I was so excited about everything he said. And I dove right in. Like I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be a game changing musical. It might be the Karate Kid, but this is actually going to change how we see theater like it really is. Um, and that's not hyperbolic. Like we just did the workshop with Amon uh, and his vision and our choreographers, Keone and Mari, who are now directing the Britney Spears musical, what they're doing, it has not been seen on Broadway before. So it is really interesting to me to be a part of a, a team where the goal is let's change what Broadway looks like. And I think we're doing that. Yeah. So what are some of the processes of like creating this movie adaptation to like getting where you are now and in the future having your like the premiere coming sure uh the, some of the process here is it's it starts with a bunch of meetings you know it starts with a bunch of the creative team which is me and the book writer who is the same man who um wrote the movies uh the karate kid movies his name's robert mark Kamen. And he's a legendary Hollywood screenwriter. And uh, it started with me and him just talking about what it could be. And then the director sits with us and we all three of us talk about what it could be. And then once we all land on a playing field here that we're all agreeing on, then we start writing. And um, for this one in particular, because there is one of the most iconic Asian characters in the world, Mr. Miyagi from the movies, uh, we really wanted to be uh, thoughtful in how we portrayed him and musicalized him. So I was actually sent to Okinawa where Mr. Miyagi, he's not even Japanese, he's Okinawan, which is a very specific uh, heritage and culture. And they have a very specific scale in their music. And it's not like most other Japanese or Asian music. Okinawan's very, very different. So I went and learned how Okinawan composers put their songs together. And that's how we ended up voicing Mr. Miyagi. And then the rest of it was like listening to music from the 80s, what makes sense? Because this movie takes, or this, this show takes place in the 80s. And the villain would sound a little bit like Metallica. And Daniel might sound a little bit like some of that pop, fun, Peter Gabriel, Phil Collins stuff from the 80s. And, uh, and all of Mr. Miyagi was like truly influenced by what I experienced in my, my time in Okinawa. This is, it was a, a real gift that they sent me out there and put me through the education I needed to be culturally thoughtful when it came to musicalizing such an iconic Asian character. Yeah. And what do you think was the hardest so far, what the hardest part of the writing process has been? Um, the hardest part is finding more voices uh, 
emotionally. So there are some characters in the movie that are there, but they don't really have a lot of life. And we're trying to kind of expand on what those characters were in the movie and really give them a new life here. And a lot of that falls on me because I have to give them some, some song moments. And again, we try to avoid the, the idea of here's a song just to put a song there. We're really trying to find earnest moments for these characters where it's not an excuse for them to have a song, but it's like their emotional level gets so high that they have to sing. So that's been the biggest challenge. And I'm still very much in the midst of that challenge. Our out of town is a few months away and I'm doing some big, big rewrites on some major songs right now. So it's a, it's a never ending task. Yeah. And like going back, what do you think is the easiest part of the process so far? The easiest part of this process? Oh, boy. Um, knowing that I have a job, it makes it a little easy. Just uh, and it's the karate kid. Like sometimes that's really hard because the weight of the karate kid is on your shoulders. But some days you're walking around like, wow, I really out of all the people who went in for this job, I got it. And it kind of lifts you back up again and gives you the confidence you need to kind of keep pushing through. Uh, so that's been helpful. Also, the team's really lovely. I really love our choreographers, Keone and Mari. I really love uh, our director, Amon, and our producers, Kamiko, and everybody at Gorgeous Entertainment. And I really love working uh, with Robert Mark Kamen. It's, it's, it's a trip. It's a trip. So what, going back on like previous performance and being like a musical theater performer, but now being on like the other side of the table, what is that like for you? Uh, I think it's where I'd rather be. It is, I, I like being the person who decides what the actor sings or says rather than the guy who is being told what the what to sing or say. And um, I think there's a lot of gratification in being an actor, but I also know that just based on the, the daily rejection, that can get to you. You know, being a composer, you get like three rejections a year, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> once you have a job, you're working. Like it takes a lot, you're working on it for a long time. And auditions for actors are like, you could do 10 a day and they could all be no's. And that's just a lot of rejection at once. So I, I think I chose the path that better suited my personality. Yeah. What is it like for you prepping for the world premiere in a few months? Um, I'm not even thinking about it, honestly. I just, I'm not even thinking about like the premiere itself. I just, I, I really just want the show to be great. And my, my hope is that people think it's great. Cause I have a feeling people have an idea of what the Karate Kid musical will be. And my hope is that we defy all of those expectations. I really think we're going to surprise some people. What do you think, like with what you can tell, like, what is most exciting you about releasing this into the world? Um, the fact that I will be a part of a huge expanding fan universe. It's like Star Wars, you know, the Karate Kid. Is, there were so many sequels. There was a cartoon of it in the 90s. Now Cobra Kai is going on season five. And, uh, and now the musical. It's just, it's, a, it's an honor to be a part of that. But also something that I personally really connect with with this story is I'm really glad that I'm going to be a part of a show in creating a show 
where we're portraying a relationship between a student and a teacher. And I think it's a really uh, beautiful and healthy and um, endearing relationship. And you don't see a lot of that all the time. So I'm, I'm kind of grateful to be a part of something that has that story. And as always, we wrap up with Drew's two cents on how, if you want to be a composer, how to do that. Uh, yeah, I, there's a lot I could say. And I think the easiest thing to say is patience. Don't write a musical without having the next three ideas in your head. Don't dedicate eight years of your life to one show without having a few other ideas ready to start writing or writing simultaneously, because you don't want to see those eight years go nowhere because there is a chance it could. So always keep your, your, uh, the backlog full of ideas, I think is a really good piece of advice. And, uh, I'm glad I got that advice early on. So I could always kind of have, uh, a finger in a pie at any time I needed to.